Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. My name is Susie. I'm an American Gen X woman living in Berlin, a martial artist, violent crime survivor, and the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Tavia Benjamin, a.k.a. TSK Benjamin, a millennial Jamaican woman living in Kingston. I'm a poet, author of the book Words Beyond the Page, and a social entrepreneur. We're exploring the kinds of violence women around the world face, the different ways we defend ourselves on a daily basis, and of course, sharing self-defense tips and techniques as we go. If there's anything you'd like us to explore, send us your questions and comments to hi at teamprettydeadly.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Ready to kick ass? Yep. Okay, let's go. It's so nice to be back with you, Susie. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am great. I mean, it's so interesting for us to talk about not just violence against women, but our own attitudes towards it as women. Mm -hmm. And from your perspective, whether in Germany or in the U.S., what would you say you've observed as women's attitudes towards violence against women? And, you know, would you say that in those attitudes, if are there any classism or racism that affects how women view violence against other women? Um, yes, absolutely. There is the, you know, I'm 54. So I've seen things change over, you know, they consider 50 years to be a generation. So if I started at the age of four, I've seen an entire generation of change, which is really fantastic in many ways. So I can speak more um, knowledgeably about the United States because that's where I spent most of my life. But I've even seen a shift in the way things are moving in Germany as well. So women's attitudes about violence, um, the violence that we experience in some ways, in some ways, attitudes haven't changed at all. Or I would say not attitudes, but violence hasn't changed at all. Violence has managed to stay the same the whole entire time. <laughs> there's there's the still same levels of violence against women. They haven't at all been reduced they haven't changed. They haven't, I mean, sometimes the language changes, sometimes the approach changes. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely there's the addition of internet violence that wasn't there before, but there were forms of that in the sense of blackmail or uh, economic violence, ways to control women's behavior through means other than physical or emotional violence. So from that perspective, violence hasn't changed at all. Women's attitudes about it, though, have. So when I was a kid growing up, it was something that you kind of just never really talked about. Mm. It was just sort of something that, you know, it, it was it kind of came with being a woman. It came with being a girl. I was really lucky in that my mother made it very clear to me at a very young age that if anyone violates me on any level, that I was to tell her regardless of any threats, and that I I would never do anything wrong and nothing bad would ever happen to me. That said, she and my dad also weren't able to recognize that kind of systemic violence that girls and women experience. You know, the older man, like, looking at a young girl in a sexual way, Mm -hmm. right? Whenever that happened to me as a little girl, you know, I would hide behind my mother's legs or my father's legs. And my parents interpreted that as me being shy. Oh, wow. Right. Because that's how that's how that was viewed then. You know, it's like it was it was okay for creepy old men to be like, oh, what a pretty little girl. And, you know, like as a girl, you're watching the saliva drip from their 
wolf jaws, but the parents are like, oh, what a nice old man, you know? So that has gone through a massive shift. A lot of people now recognize that when their children are displaying this kind of behavior, that what they're looking for is safety because they're they're feeling unsafe. That's a really fantastic thing to see. Women in the United States have gone, of course, through the Me Too movement, The but we've gone through so much change and I've seen so much change in people's attitudes, changing um, the language that we use about women and, and women's roles as well has also changed really drastically. When I was in my 20s, I marched, I marched on Washington only once because I was disappointed with it. But it, it was also actually to it was when um, the Roe v. Wade law was first being threatened to be overturned. So there's a big march on Washington. This is in the 90s. Okay. So there was no like connecting with a bunch of other people on Instagram or whatever, or, or Telegram or WhatsApp. So I was one of, of many thousands of people who were there. And the people who spoke were Gloria Steinem, um, who's the kind of still the leader of the feminist movement from the 1970s, Patricia Ireland, who at that time was the head of Planned Parenthood in the United States, and Jesse Jackson, who was still on the national radar because he was the first black man to run for president. Okay. And they all said the same thing. They said, we're out here to protect the rights of your mothers, your sisters, your daughters, your girlfriends, and your wives. And I was so disappointed. I thought, you know, this is like 1991 or 1992. And I was like, but is that all we are? Are we not more? I mean, are we not colleagues? Are we not neighbors? Are we not business partners? Are we not friends? Mm-mm. I mean, can we not be? So I wrote a letter to Gloria Steinem saying like, you know, you're the leader of the, the of this movement and your words matter. And if you're using words that keep us in these roles, then we're always going to stay in those roles. So please, you know, choose your words carefully and change your language. And she wrote a letter back and said, you're right. I will. Yay. So that was cool. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see that change happen, you know, really at a, at a full social level until much more recently. It's the newer generation of women, millennials and Gen Z, who are saying, you know, don't use this language to constrict us to these gender roles. So women who are are much quicker not only to recognize, but also call out um, minor sexual aggressions. By minor, I mean things like, you know, gaslighting, you know, the creeps at work, the the when a man makes a pass, that's what it used to be called when I was a girl. You know, and that was actually a thing. My mom taught me that when she was growing up in the 50s, there was a saying people said, which was men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses. What does that mean? It just it meant that, you know, girls were girls who wear glasses weren't considered pretty enough um, for men to hit on. Mm. And so my mother would tell me this and she said, and that's why I wear glasses. And I thought <laughs> I thought too, I was like, oh, I should wear glasses. And I still, to this day, I do have to wear glasses for um, distance. But I definitely, when I put my glasses on, I feel like now I've got a shield. Even though that mm. whole, that, I mean, it's complete nonsense. Men certainly do make passes at girls who wear glasses. It have no, nothing to do with it. But so all of these things have changed. Here in, in Germany, I've seen attitudes start to change. They're a little bit um, less vocal about it. But I think that they have a bigger mountain to climb in some ways. Germany isn't just a patriarchal society. It's also paternalistic. So it's, that can be even more difficult. 
um, because women are often dismissed as, you know, this is women's work. These are women's issues. You know, I'm busy out here making cars and saving the world, you know, as German men seem to think. So that movement is, is a little slower to change, but certainly women are more, more aware and more vocal. I would say in the United States, it's a little more recognized now that violence against women happens across every strata of socioeconomic background and skin color and religion. In Germany, I would say that it's still a bit considered, it's still a bit more considered something that only happens in the lower classes. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I'm hearing a lot of similarities with, with what you're saying, with what ha- actually happens in Jamaica as well. You know, there was a time, and I, I still think it exists now, where we engage in victim blaming, mm-hmm. where women experience violence and you hear someone say, oh, why did she walk there? Or why did she have on that clothes? Or why didn't she do this? Or why didn't she do that? And sometimes you're surprised because these comments are coming from women and you're like, but, you know, why would you be blaming a woman for the situation that she has experienced? But I'd also say that what I've noticed is that women are way more vocal now about what they are experiencing. As a matter of fact, recently there was an initiative. It's still happening now with the government of Jamaica the European Union and the United States, it's called the Spotlight Initiative. And the aim of that is to prevent violence, family violence, but it also includes gender-based violence or intimate violence against women. And I was actually privileged to be a part of one of those shorts. They had a series of short videos or movies, if you want to call them that. And they were called Spotlight Shorts. And basically it told stories of different types of violence that people experience. And this particular one that I was a part of is called Absolute Power, Rhonda's Story. And it spoke about a woman who experienced violence in the office where this person who was her coworker became her lover and then was started abusing her. And I was privileged to be a part of that film as her boss, <laughs> helping her to, you know, speak up and actually talk about what it is she is going through. So I'd say definitely in Jamaica, we we are talking about it more, but there is still this stigma where when it comes to when you experience violence or even how other women view women who experience violence, they may view them as weak, especially if we learn that, okay, Tavia has been a part of this relationship for five years and she's been experiencing violence for five years. The length of time also intensifies the blame that we place to say, well, didn't you realize in the first six months or the first year, why would you stay in it for five years or 10 years or 30 years? And so we are still in that thought process of blaming women for what they experience. Well, whether it is we think it's their fault or, or not, you know? So, I mean, I'm observing what's happening in the space and what I'd definitely like to see is not just talking about it, not just saying, okay, yes, we need to end violence against women, or this is what's happening. And these are the statistics, but what is actually being done to reduce it? Are we talking about those issues the people who are perpetrating the violence, whether it is men or women against women, are we dealing with those persons? Are there laws in place to to deal with that? So, I mean, that, that's my observation. 
Do you, is there a lot of violence um, of women against women? There are some, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because people would say that sometimes women are women's greatest enemies. Mm. And, you know, for different kinds of reasons, there may be violence, whether it is, you know, just personal, you call it catfighting with each other. Mm -hmm. But definitely women do have fits against each other. Um, I don't know that, whereas, you know, for example, a woman walking on a street and a strange man may attack her. I don't know if that women are doing that to women in that way. But in any case, women fighting each other, that's still violence against each other. And I do believe that exists. When it comes to statistics, I couldn't say, but I definitely believe that there is that in Jamaica and it's a problem. There was a, a report that I read a few years ago about um, teen girls in Russia, actually, um, who get into really vicious physical fights with each other and what that kind of means for them as adolescents and then how that gets interpreted in larger social circles as well as as they mature into adults. One of the um, it was like a strangely ironic study because it found that girls will, will, you know, really beat the crap out of each other without much hesitation for whatever it is that sets them off, but they won't learn self-defense. The common thread between both of these things were boys in the sense of they didn't want to be seen as masculine. So while they would fight with each other, they would never do that in front of boys because they didn't want to be interpreted as being too macho or masculine. And they didn't want to learn self-defense because they felt that that would also, that would be interpreted as being too macho or masculine. I don't think women in Jamaica care about that. (laughs) About (laughs) about whether... Just shut that down. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think, I don't think they even care. Like whether people will think that they're being masculine or like they just want to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. But I I know for sure there, there may be, for example, you'd say Taekwondo or something like that. You probably would find more men doing that than women. And it's, it's interesting because I don't know why, but for women, they may be, they, they probably would have a pepper spray or some things. They will defend themselves, whether it is that they will learn professionally, whether it is kickboxing or things like that. Maybe not so much. There are women who will, but maybe not the majority. But outside of that, I don't think Jamaican women necessarily care too much about whether you think they're masculine or feminine because they defend themselves. I believe our culture generally is one that we're not just going to stand aside and you push us over. We're going to defend ourselves, woman or man. So I don't think that particular perception is a national problem. What the issue may be is are women and girls being taught self-defense? So in schools, do we teach girls self-defense I don't think so. In in different areas where women may experience certain attacks on them or may be more vulnerable in those spaces, do we have programs in place that can say, hey, here are some ways that you can protect yourself or defend yourself? Do we teach that? I personally don't know about it. If I find out, I'll definitely let you know. I would be curious to know on that same topic, though, that if women are if women get into fights with each other, what are they learning from those fights? How are they fighting and how are they learning how to fight? And can they translate that information into self-defense? Because that's basically all it is. I, 
I'm sure they can. You know, women getting into fights with each other. It's, I guess it goes back to the same idea of women being their own enemies where, Mm -hmm. you know, but then you could also come from the perspective of not because I'm a woman means that I should not defend myself against my own gender. Right. You know, and not because I'm a woman means that another woman and I won't have differences that will require me defending myself, even if it is not in a physical way. So how do we go around those kinds of kinds of topics? Are we saying that there will never be differences with each other? Are we saying that we'll never have reason to fight, quote unquote, whether it is physically, emotionally or, or otherwise? Right. Right. Well, I mean, of course we'll have them. Well, we all do, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's interesting to me, though, is to, if this is just kind of a normal aspect of, of life in Jamaica for women, and and it is for women everywhere, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, in America, all the women get along, because they don't, you know, um, and we, we, all women can be very vicious with each other when they want to be, be it by words or emotional manipulation, emotional abuse, or getting into physical fights. Mm-hmm. But one of the one of the things that's interesting to me is why we don't take all of those skills because those are also skills um, and use them in self defense situations regarding violence perpetrated against us by a man because of our mindset mm-hmm. because the, the truth is we strength is based on perception. So mm-hmm. if if we, if we if a woman believes that someone else is stronger than them, quote unquote, then they won't stand up to get to that person. Mm-hmm. So often we are taught that men are naturally stronger than us, whether it is in physical strength or otherwise. And so a man attacks you, you a woman or some women automatically think, oh, I have no chance. There is no point in fighting back because this person is stronger than me. Because men are seen as the ones who are the head of the woman or above the woman. So if personally, as a woman, you believe that you are strong, then regardless of whether it is a man or a woman, you will stand up for yourself. And especially mm. so in the case of a, a man who is endangering your life or, in, or encroaching on your personal space, you stand up to them because you personally believe that you are strong. So I... I think even in the teaching self-defense, it also goes back to also mental strength because I can be powerful. I can be able to punch someone down. I can be able to run away from someone. But if I don't believe I can do it, I won't. Hmm. Yes and no. I'm going to take that position, which isn't a real position. But mm-hmm. when someone is threatening your life, you simply react. So it's not. it, it has nothing to do with whether you believe you're strong or not your body takes over and it reacts one way or the other. So it reacts with the all the experience that it has and all the tools that it has. And if you are someone who has never had any training in any kind of defense or martial arts or, or any kind of this type of movement, then mm-hmm. your reactions will, might be more limited to freezing, to, to just screaming, to moving chaotically, to whatever it is, something will come out though. That's interesting. So it, 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 a lot of people talk to me about, um, 
or they ask me, you know, well, once I learn self-defense, then I'll be more confident and I'm less likely to be attacked, right? I mean, you, they often ask me, like, you probably always feel safe, you know, because you've had so much training, et cetera, et cetera. And I tell them, no, actually, I never feel safe because I'm a woman in the world. I'm never going to be safe in this world as we have it now. I understand that. But what I do know is that my body will react. It has nothing to do with what I believe about myself. And I know what my training is. I know mm-hmm. what I can do. I know that it has nothing to do with physical strength. Um, I know how good of a martial artist I am. I know how good I am at strategic thinking, um, at situational awareness. I know, I know all these really cool things, right? And I believe that these things are true. But it doesn't stop anybody at all from harassing me or aggressing me. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I am going to physically fight back because that might not be the smartest thing for me in my survival in that moment. True, true. So I think it's, it's it, it, but I do know because I've been in this situation, I do know that my body will respond in some way. And I, I, I believe that and I don't have to believe it. I know it because I've already, it's been put to the test. Right. Okay. So something is going to come out and I learn self-defense and I learn martial arts because what I, I want something to come out that's devastating. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's, that's why I say yes and no. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's great to believe that um, you don't deserve violence, that, that no one should be violating you in these ways. But on the other hand, it kind of doesn't matter. So even in women, even for women who are in domestic violence situations or intimate partner violence situations that get very severe, there are some women who never make it out of that situation alive. True. That's reality, unfortunately. But there are many, many more women who do. However, they only make it out of that situation alive when it gets to the point where they understand, oh, this is, this is, this is now reached this point mm-hmm. where he's going to kill me. And that's when they, that's usually when they, get out. So it's, it's, and it, again, it has nothing to do with, you know, oh, she, I mean, we've talked about this before about, you know, why don't women leave, et cetera. And it's not that she doesn't believe she's not worth it. There's so many other factors. It's complex. It's complex. There's a lot of brainwashing that goes on, et cetera, et cetera. But again, no matter how low her self-esteem may be, when it gets to that point where she realizes she's about to be killed, or if it happens one more time and she's going to be killed, she leaves if she can. And that's been pretty universally true. So your body is an organism and it has a desire to survive as all organisms do. Mm-hmm. And it will take over your brain, which has some faults. You know, everybody's brain has a few faults here and there. It's not always the best driver of this particular machine. When you're, when the machine is threatened so, so imminently, it takes over. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's important that I believe women's views on violence against women is so important. It's important that we understand, well, let me take it from this angle. Not all women experience violence in the same way. And it's important that each of us understand how we all experience it. So that in any event, if we need to step in, if we need to speak up against it, if we need to 
helped another woman, we are able to actually understand it and help them in the way that they need to be helped. And mm-hmm. that's how we perceive it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. That's a very good point. That's something that I think I would like to see more of as a discussion in general regarding women's safety, regarding everybody's safety, um, to recognize what's violent for other people. And also to recognize that people, people also have a right to dignity. Mm -hmm. So stepping in and saving someone when you think they need to be saved doesn't really afford people dignity. No. And just giving them the space. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a, it's a just different thing. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Pollock, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.